Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. This is episode six. I am really excited about this upcoming episode. We are actually just coming out of Thanksgiving and heading into Christmas and the new year. And I think this is probably the most time where we really, um, we're kind of like overindulging. And if there's any time that our um, emotional eating or our addiction to food or an all of that comes to light. I think it's during the holidays. And I thought this is a really great episode to kind of flesh that out um, and to kind of dig behind some of the layers as to, you know, why are we eating some of the foods that we're eating? And, um, you know, why are we so attached to some of these foods? Um, Like I talked about in last week's um, podcast when we're talking about the four-day challenge. This is actually day number two where we pray to break our addiction to food. And we are absolutely so excited to have Chef AJ. Um, if you don't know who she is, you have to check her out. We did leave the link of her YouTube channel and all that in the in the show notes. So you have to check her out. She is a rock star in the um, plant-based community. Um, in this episode, Chef AJ shares her really inspiring story about how she overcame emotional eating and food addiction. Um, and this is a really nice, candid conversation that Gigi and I have with Chef AJ because she just really breaks it down. She talks, you know, very straight to the point um, about just how and what you need to do to break free from the foods that don't serve us anymore. So this episode will be inspiring, but it will also challenge you. It'll be thought provoking, um, but it will also be practical. It will give you tools to kind of guide you through reconstructing a healthier relationship with food, because we all have a relationship with food, whether it's a good one, a bad one, or somewhere in between. But this relationship will um, let you break up with food if it's not serving you and start to engage in a way that you start to choose foods that are really, really healthy for you and that actually are edifying you and serve you rather than the opposite where a lot of times we um, use food for emotional reasons and Um, we are drawn to foods that actually don't serve us. So I am so excited about this episode. Gigi and I had a wonderful time talking with Chef AJ. I hope this episode in the midst of the holidays is something that will inspire you and nudge you to kind of get things together in that area. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the amazing Chef AJ. Today we're covering overcoming emotional eating and food addiction, something that many of us have struggled with or are even currently battling. So if you have any questions or comments, please, please, please pop them in the chat box. 
Um, we'll try to take as many questions as we can, either live or on the replay. So I'm going to turn it over to Cersei and she's going to introduce our very special guest, the amazing Chef AJ. Cersei. Awesome. Okay, Chef AJ is a rock star in the plant-based community. She has been devoted to an exclusive plant-based diet for over 43 years. She is the host of the television series, Healthy Living with Chef AJ, which airs on Foodie TV. She is a chef, a culinary instructor, and a professional speaker. She is also the author of the popular books, Unprocessed, The Secret to Ultimate Weight Loss, and her most recent book she co-authored, which is Own Your Health with Glenn Mercer. So buckle your seatbelts as we have a dynamic conversation around emotional eating and food addiction. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the amazing Chef AJ. Thank you. Hi. Hey. Good. How can I help you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Chef AJ, if you could start, because you have an amazing story around overcoming food addiction um, and emotional eating. So could you just start by just telling us how did you get here to be 43 years in the making of eating this way and overcoming all of this? Tell us your story. Okay. I, I, I wrote a whole book about it. So I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Yes. So, okay. So I was born in 1960 in Chicago to a morbidly obese mother and a normal weight father. And I only say that because when you, when one or both of your parents are overweight or obese, it increases your probability of being so but I don't want people to not to to give up hope if both of their parents were overweight or obese because truthfully genetics loads the gun it's our diet and lifestyle that pulls the trigger it just makes us more uh, more the possibility of becoming overweight or obese is greater and they know this from you know identical twin studies twins that are separated at birth and they follow them they, they're more like the biological parents generally than the adoptive parents so I did not have really healthy eating models for me growing up. We were Jewish. I'm still am, but that's how we ate this. It was the standard American diet, but it was with a Jewish twist, which means it was very high in fat and sugar and salt, just like the standard American diet and lots of animal products, things like that. And uh, for whatever reason, I was born with a very innate compassion for animals and I didn't want to eat them. And the, you know, we didn't have internet in 1960. We didn't have Neil Barnard or PCRM where we could <laughs> find out that eating a plant-exclusive diet is not only healthy, but probably the healthiest diet that one could have. And so I always knew I loved animals and I didn't have the language of vegan in, in 1960s. Mm. And I just, I didn't want to eat them. I didn't, I didn't like them. I, I just thought it was weird and gross. Like why, why? I don't get it because we had a mm -hmm. dog and I'm like, I wouldn't eat my dog. So why are we eating other things? And the things is as a Jewish person, some of the things we ate were really gross, but the nice thing about being Orthodox Jewish is there's a lot of things we didn't eat. And I say that because mm -hmm. there are no really inherent taste preferences in human beings other than that for, for sweet, you know, breast milk is sweet. Every taste preference pretty much in every culture is learned. And that's why in some cultures, they could eat crickets and they think they're delicious. Mm -hmm. They can eat certain organ meats that Americans would like. That's disgusting. But we develop taste preferences for what we habitually eat. And that's why, you know, I mean, what do you like better, pad thai or enchiladas? Well, my, one, one is not necessarily better. It's, it's generally what your culture, what, what you're used to. Mm -hmm. And 
because I was Orthodox, I didn't taste a lot of animals that other people develop taste preferences for. A lot of people think things like lobster and shrimp and clams and cram are delicious. I, I mean, if you never have something, you can't think it's delicious. And so that was not allowed in my religion, nor were was bacon or pork. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't need it because I never tasted it. And, you know, when you think about it, the only reason animal products are delicious for people to think they are is because of the sauces we put on them that are made with plants. I mean, very few people eat, I mean, yes, people do eat sushi and people, but how many people eat sushi without dipping it in soy sauce? made mm-hmm. from soybeans, right? Very few people just eat raw animal products. I mean, I'm sure there's probably some that do. So it's the plants that always make them delicious. And the thing about bacon is, you know, what makes bacon delicious is all the sugar, fat, and salt. It's not it's not the pig that's delicious. So I didn't grow up eating a lot of animals. Yes, I would never eat fish as a child just because it just, it grossed me out because a lot of times it was served with the head on, you could see the eyes and I'm like, I'm not eating that. I mean, I probably ate canned tuna, but I didn't eat very many animal products and I knew I I had a disgust for them. And so my mom would make them in ways that it didn't look like it. So like, she didn't give me like a, a, a bone in anything. I couldn't do that. But if there was chili and I had some ground beef, you know, I ate it, whatever. Cause I remember even saying, I don't want to eat animals and, you know, you're gonna die you know we didn't have the information there you know people today still think that you won't get enough protein if you don't eat animal products when in fact plants have all the proteins you need and all the large animals in the world that have walked throughout human history that are herbivores get plenty of protein from plants we don't get our protein from the animals we get it from the plants that they ate in the first place so so i knew i wanted to go in that direction and i I did become vegan when I was 17. That was almost 44 years ago. But the problem was I was not a healthy vegan. And I I first became fat when I was five years old. And we had a lot of processed food in the house. You know, we didn't just have like trickster for kids. We had every kind of kid cereal out there. And, you know, I just, I wanted the toys so bad. I remember that, but we had everything, Lucky Charms and Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and Fruity Pebbles and all these foods that I know now aren't really food, but we had a lot of processed food. My mom, my mom made real food too, but there was just so much just junk food in the house. We we were from Chicago. So instead of Lay's potato chips, we're bet you can't eat just one. We had Jay's potato chips. So I, I was, like I said, fat from the age of five. And at the age of 11, I was 160 pounds. Now that might be considered normal in today's world, but let me tell you when you're only five feet tall, it is an 11 years old, that is obesity. So I was, that's how I was most of my life. And it really wasn't until the, because I was fat as a vegan. I actually did a, a talk at Dr. McDougall's conference called from fat vegan to skinny bitch which you can find on my youtube channel and i was pretty much fat until i was almost 52 years old so i've only been thin now for about 10 years so being vegan is is wonderful i recommend it for everyone for health reasons especially now for planetary health and of course for animal compassion but i'm an example of what not to do and what i did for a long time at least for the first 26 years when i was vegan is i didn't eat any fruits and vegetables and that is not healthy regardless of how you're eating so i was a junk food vegan or a vegetarian as some people would say and i know now that that is because i was a food addict and food addiction is a terrible name for a disease. They need like a PR firm to come rename it. People have suggested something like dopamine deficiency disorder, because in reality, you cannot be addicted to food or eating because you would die if you didn't eat. But I do believe it's possible to be addicted to 
particular foods, and I wouldn't even really call them foods because they're highly processed and refined food-like substances, but they generally come in the area of the refined carbohydrates, sugar, flour, and alcohol. And sugar and flour go through the exact same refining process as drugs and alcohol. And for a certain segment of the population, and I don't know what these numbers are, the experts that I've interviewed said something like 17% of people, I would argue it's probably higher, one out of seven, I would argue it's probably higher just because there seems to be a direct correlation between food addiction and obesity. And we are now at, I think is at 43% obesity rate, yeah, over 70% overweight. So it wasn't until I was in my fifties that I even heard this concept of food addiction. I was so excited because I figured if I, if there, if this was a thing and I had this disease, then there was a way out of it. And there is, but the problem is nobody likes the solution to addiction because there really is only one. And unfortunately that's abstinence and it's not fun and it's not sexy. It's effective. But the problem is, is most people in general can't do it. And people with addictions have a really, really hard time doing it. You know, people say, oh, you know, let's have everything in moderation. Really? We want child abuse in moderation? You know, no, I mean, I think that is the stupidest saying I have ever heard because clearly as a country or as a world, we can't moderate. You can't moderate your use of an addictive substance if you're an addict, because if you could have, you would have. You know, most people that come to me aren't like, you know, uh, 20 years old needing to lose five pounds. They're mostly women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that have struggled with this idea of food addiction and their weight their whole lives. And and, and so people are looking for these plans and, and these are very popular in these uh, programs that tell you to weigh and measure your food. You know, let's mm. just have a little bit of these toxic poisonous substances can't do it. If you could have done it, you would have done it. So, so weighing it on a scale, it's like, it's like saying to an alcoholic, you know, the problem is you drink too much. So let's just put your alcohol in a smaller glass and see if that works. It's not going to work. Or, you know, you have a problem with vodka. We're going to, we're going to do light beer. No, it doesn't work. Absence mm -hmm. is the solution. It always has been, you know, it was even, was it in the 17th? I, I'm not very good with uh, dates in history, but I think his name was St. Augustine. And he said, Complete abstinence is always easier than perfect moderation. It is. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are one of those rare people, like my husband, who even though he doesn't drink alcohol, when he did, could have a glass of champagne, you know, once a year at a wedding or a rich dessert on his birthday, and you are happy with your weight and your health, do it. The thing is, is I don't know very many of those people who can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what you said about um just the whole just the culture in terms of the data and the number of people who are suffering with uh, overweight and obesity that the problem is is widespread and I, we were having this conversation with a few people from our group that it's different with food than it is with drugs in the sense that you know the social acceptability mm -hmm. of eating mm -hmm. junk food is so mm -hmm. high right where, you know, you're not going to go to a party. You're not going to go to a church function and mm -hmm. have a platter or a buffet of cocaine. Mm -hmm. it, but you will have a platter or a buffet of donuts and fried foods and things that are just going to, you know, really um, just just destroy your body. Um, and it's it's kind of reinforced. It's popularized and and almost viewed as cool. Um, 
So because everybody's an addict. And, you know, I remember interviewing a mm -hmm. minister once and his talk was why going to church actually will make you fat. Mm -hmm. You are so mm -hmm. right when you use the word socially acceptable because eating junk food is socially acceptable. It's the norm. Mm -hmm. And just because something is the norm doesn't mean it's normal. But also the big, uh, uh, another problem is it's readily available, not just in yeah. every church pop-up or mm -hmm. soccer game. But think about it. Like, why when I go to Petco to buy a leash for my dog, is there M&Ms at the register? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know any dog that is, is supposed to eat chocolate. Same thing, you go to Michael's, which is a craft store, Joanne, which is a fabric store, mm -hmm. Home Depot, which is a hardware store. Mm -hmm. I understand that food is in stores that sell food, but why is it everywhere now? Everywhere you mm -hmm. go, hospitals. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking just about the cafeteria, but hospitals have vending machines. Yeah. Even in the parking everywhere. lot, where you can yeah. buy Red Bull and Cheetos. It's profit, you know, it's so it's so affordable junk food because the crops that are used to make it are so heavily subsidized by our government. That's why it's not really fair to say like fruits and vegetables are so expensive because if things would cost what they were, McDonald's wouldn't be 99 cents, right? Mm -hmm. right? But you're right, it is socially acceptable, but I think everybody is addicted. It's just that it, it varies in degree. So yeah. It, it, there's like a, it's like on a continuum, some oh. people more than others. And it's just, it's become so convenient eating processed food, eating fast food. People can't even imagine what their life would be like if they went back to eating the way our ancestors as early as their grandparents did. Mm -hmm. Many people don't even know how to cook. <laughs> I once had a client, she was 44 years old. I'm not kidding. She did not even know how to microwave a baked potato like she, she mm -hmm. was like well how do you do this and i'm like really because like there's a button on it that says potato so you, you mm -hmm. push it you know mm -hmm. so i mean it, it's just it's we've gotten so far away from eating anything that resembles food and you know once you're this concept there's two wonderful doctors named dr doug lyle and dr ellen goldhammer who wrote a book called the pleasure trap and once you're mm -hmm. in the pleasure trap it's really hard to get out of and so that you know that's what a church is it's a congregation of people stuck mm -hmm. in the pleasure trap whether it's a mm -hmm. jewish church or a christian church or mm -hmm. you know a, a, you know girl scouts oh my god girl scouts don't get me wrong oh, the cookies they're yeah. <laughs> but like god, they're like little drug yeah. pushers literally yeah, they yeah, are drug yeah. pushers <laughs> yes that is so funny so uh, so how did you so give us some insight on how you got out of that because like you said we're so bombarded by all of these um, these things. It's, you, it's almost like you can't run, you can't hide. So, how do you how did you navigate your way out of that system? Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I've heard people say that people only change when the pain associated with change is less than the pain of staying the same. And I mm. was in pain. So what happened mm. is when I was 43 years old, I had been vegan now for 26 years, obese, junk food vegan, weighing as much as mm. 200 pounds. And I'm only five, five. Right. And I woke up bleeding after using the restroom. And it turned out I had what they call edematous polyps that were riddling my colon. And these are the kind that if you don't remove them, they always become cancer. But because I hadn't literally eaten like fruit, any fruit and vegetable for like 43 years, because I was having, I was having Coke Slurpees for breakfast every day with eight pumps of vanilla syrup. I was having regular Dr. Pepper big gulps for lunch, 48 ounces, because mm -hmm. back then that was the largest size. Now I believe you can get a 256 ounce soda at 7-Eleven with free refills. <laughs> so because I didn't eat a diet that had any fiber, I developed these polyps. And I had many relatives in my family that died of colon cancer or actually had their colon removed. So I did have the family history that, like I said, primed the pump, loaded the gun, but it was my horrible diet of, you know, 
Candice Cakes Cookies Pies and Ice Cream, albeit vegan and lots of caffeine and sugar, that, that pulled the trigger because I wasn't eating any fiber from fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't remove them during the colonoscopy as they normally would with calipers because my colon was in a state of disarray. So they said I'd have to come back and have like real surgery. And I, it's funny because today I went to the dentist and it takes, I went to a PETA dentist till I was almost 40. I am the most phobic patient. When I was 19, I went in for a, a, a same day operation, a very minor operation to have something removed. And I was allergic to the general anesthetic. And instead I was in the hospital for three months. And I remember waking up in the recovery room because I was a respiratory therapist in the time, at the time, seeing Harvey, my coworker, like with, with a, uh, you know, um, with a, an endo, a, a tube, like, like if they couldn't get me to breathe, I, I mean, like my eyes were like, cause I did not want to be on a ventilator ever. Mm. Like I, I saw my dad die on one and my grandmother, it's not mm. fun to be on a ventilator. So they had that ambu bag and they were resuscitating me. And then somebody said, get the tube. And I'm like, God, please let me breathe. Let me breathe. So that traumatized me. So I'm like, I am afraid of everything now, which is a good thing because I'm not going to rush into any kind of surgery. I would like to have a little nip and tuck here, but I'm still <laughs> afraid, right? And so what happened is, is I went to a place called the Optimum Health Institute. That's They have a campus in Austin that I've been to, but I went first to the one in Lemon Grove, which is near San Diego. And it was a remarkable place that for the first time in my life, people in general, but in specifically healthcare professionals like doctors and nurses actually said, that what we eat has a profound effect on how we look, how we feel, and even what diseases we acquire and which ones mm -hmm. we can reverse. And even though I had not eaten animal products for 26 years, no dairy, no, no animal flesh, everything I was eating was inflammatory. So I was instead of eating an anti-inflammatory diet like I do now, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, I was eating a pro-inflammatory diet, caffeine, sugar, flour, oil, salt, and they explained that for disease to exist anywhere in the human body, it has to be in a state of inflammation. That's why almost every disease ends in itis, right? And that it doesn't matter whether it's the common cold or stage four cancer, you have to have inflammation in the body. And so they explained that what I was eating was, it just was a wonderful place. It's basically like a detox in a way because you eat a hundred percent raw diet. It's mostly like, like it's like it was seeds and they made like, like cheese out of seed. It was very bland. There was no sugar, no oil, no salt, no processed foods. And it, you know, obviously it didn't taste very good, but mm -hmm. that wasn't the point. What, what happened was there was like 300 people there and they would give testimonials, people that were there for more than one week, how eating this way saved their life. And they had people there, mm -hmm. there was every, almost every disease from all kinds of cancer, even brain cancer, the lupus to Lyme's disease. Mm -hmm. And they were giving these testimonials. And I thought, well, wow, if you can eat this way and I'll do it. You know, I, I'd rather not, have, I do, I'll do anything not, not to have to have surgery. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed on the diet for almost two years. It was really hard for me to be raw. It's not hard to be vegan, especially junk food vegan. Mm. It's not hard for me to eat the way I am, but the raw diet was a little hard for me. Like socially, I was cold a lot, but it's a very healing diet. And about six months after adopting that way of eating, I can still remember the day I checked into Optimum Health. It was September 6th, no, July 6, 2003. I remember it was right after the 4th of July. And that was just great because 4th of July is like independence. It's like freedom. And I'm like, that was the beginning of my freedom from these, these foods that were making me fat and sick. And about six months later, I had another colonoscopy and my colon was clear, clean, and pink, the doctor said, vascular like a newborn baby. And he thought I had wow. actually had surgery somewhere else. I said, no, you know, I just changed my diet. And he said, well, 
that's impossible. And the, the co-doctor, the one that was assisting in the procedure, I think she was from India. She goes, I believe you after he left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's when my health started to improve. And that's when I stopped, you know, white sugar and, and caffeine. It still took a little bit longer for me to figure out the weight loss piece. But then again, you know, it's just like my mom always said, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And it's like, you know, when you have something painful in your life, it's never pleasant. I understand that. And especially at the time, you know, nobody wants to hear, well, this, this is going to be the greatest thing that happened to you. Cause no, you know, I understand that. But I think if most people, and I'm sure there's going to be exceptions, Mm -hmm. but if most people are really honest and look back at some of the most horrible things in their life, whether it was a breakup, a, you know, I don't want to say like a death of a loved one, of course, but things, you know, they'll go like, wow, it's really good that that happened because because of this, this now happened. Mm-hmm. So if that hadn't happened, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd still probably be fat and who knows, I might have had full-blown colon cancer and no colon right now. So now the next thing that happened is when I was mm-hmm. 50 or right before my 50th birthday, I slipped in an office building. They had mopped the floor, but didn't put the sign up, which is was good for me because it was a clear shut, clear cut case because it was caught on video that, they, you know, I mean, I wasn't, not that I would be, I couldn't fake a fall or a break like that, but it was a bad break. And because I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now, I couldn't use crutches. I couldn't use a walker. So guess what you get when you don't, you can't use either of those. You get put in a wheelchair for four months. And it was really an interesting experience. Uh, one thing I liked about being in a wheelchair, I mean, I didn't like it, but but people were actually kind of kind, you know, it was interesting because in LA people are kind of rushing around, but people would, you know, like open a door or like if I was shopping, they would reach. So I, there, there was some element there that was like, oh, people are nice, you know. I, I remember me, meeting an actor from my favorite show at Whole Foods and I normally would be too shy to talk to an actor, but I'm thinking nobody's going to be mean to somebody in a wheelchair. <laughs> so I actually, I remember that. I remember t- it was Kelso from Scrubs and I, I, I had the courage to talk to him. He was really very, very friendly. But anyway, so when I was in the wheelchair, I couldn't even take care of like business, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it was very humiliating having your husband help you, mm-hmm. or my husband, not your husband, but my mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I just didn't want my future to be that. And I said, you know, I mean, I said to myself, I said, you know, when I get out of this chair, I got to figure out, do something about this weight because this is just, you know, I, you know, and then the knee that, that was the other thing. See every, this is the thing. If you want me to do something, threaten me with surgery and I will mm-hmm. find a way out of it. So guess, of course, what happened is the knee was very, the doctor saying, you know, we have to fix this. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, what are my chances? And so here's what they said. This is what I love. Cause so people look, we, people love doctors. They respect them, but people a lot of times just do things without getting second and third opinions or research. And so this is what the doctor said, the orthopedic surgeon. He goes, well, if you have the surgery, either you'll get better, you'll get worse or stay the same. And I said, well, that's the same thing that's going to happen if I don't have the surgery. I don't want those odds. I'll just stay like this. But because I was, you know, the thing about being heavy and, and this is why, you know, when people say, oh, health at every size, well, maybe, but you know, not optimal health because for every pound you're overweight, it's five pounds of additional pressure to your joints, like your hips and your knees. So mm. that, and my job at the time, I was a pastry chef, which by the way, isn't an optimal job for a food addict, but that's another mm. story. I was a vegan, executive vegan pastry chef. And, you know, we stand a lot and my knee would just hurt so much by the end of the shift, my leg would be so swollen. And I remember the doctor said, well, have you ever thought about losing weight? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Wow, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. No, but I remember that. And, and, you know, I wanted to smack him. But then, you know, when you think back or when I think back now, you know, which was 
almost 12 years ago, if that hadn't happened, it may not have given me the impetus mm -hmm. to want to really solve the problem or figure it out. So then I went to my second place of healing and recovery. Optimum Health was great. There's one I found that's even better, and it's called the True North Health Center. It's in Santa Rosa, California, founded by Dr. Ellen Goldhammer. And I was really basically given all the information I needed to succeed this time because mm. he's one of the few plant-based doctors that really understands food addiction and understands what I teach today for weight loss, which is mm. not counting calories, it's calorie density. It's completely different. And mm. having those two things married by the same person and then plus Doug Lyle, Dr. Doug Lyle, a psychologist, they're really kind of sitting me down and explaining to me. Once I got the information, I was able to run with it. Some people, even with the information, it's still hard to do. That's why I think it's important you know your, like they say, your why, and they say you want a why that makes you cry because if it's just you want to get thinner to fit into a wedding dress so you look good at your daughter's wedding, you probably will succeed short term. But if you don't have a strong, compelling reason, mm -hmm. which generally has to do with something in the area of health or something, you know, mm -hmm. I, I see the recidivism recidivism rate for addiction in general and weight loss in particular, it's, you know, it's like 98%. So um, it's, it's a tough, it's like a very bad business to be in for me. Cause I, if I was in any other business with this dismal failure rate, I'd be out of business, but it's yeah. really hard. It's hard for people to lose weight. It's hard for people to not eat the foods that they love, that they're addicted to. But for those of us that can escape the pleasure trap that have, we'll tell you it's worth it. It really is. Cause the clothes are so much cuter. About how long did it take you to overcome like cravings? Um, oh, you know, that, so, you know, when I, I was at Optima Health, so I was locked up. And so it, I, it, I would say by the time I got home, you get, you get there on a Sunday and you come home on a Sunday by then it was gone because it wasn't just the abstinence of eating the, the foods that caused the cravings, but they're feeding you with, with fuel, with jet fuel. And I mean, like, like mm. green juices and things like that, that really, really help because, yeah. you know, greens have a compound in them. I think all cruciferous vegetables do. I could, could be wrong, but there's this compound called thylakoids that just stop the cravings for sugar. That's why I recommend in my program to eat vegetables for breakfast, eat greens for breakfast to set mm. your day up with these compounds that just not only they block fat absorption, they turn off the hunger switch and they, they fight cravings for sugar. So for me that, you know, I would say by the time I got home, I, I didn't have those. Now, the first few days at Optimum Health were hell. The longer you've abused the substance and the more you've habituated to it, uh, the harder it is going to be and the longer it's going to take. But depending on what your circumstances are, and that's why if people can go to a place like Optimum Health or True North so that they're in an environment of complete rest, rather than trying to do this at home with a bunch of screaming kids or while they have to work, it's a lot easier mm -hmm. if you can do it that way. But I would say, depending on the person, and how long they've eaten poorly. I mean, the people, it can be just a few days for some people, honestly, um, to, to detox, you know, even caffeine could be even longer, you know, just getting mm. off caffeine that because I was getting off everything at once, caffeine, sugar. So, but like I said, I was in a situation where I was, you know, it's just like locked up. And I, I think it is easier when you can do it away from home. Also, because mm -hmm. see, if you're home and doing it and you haven't cleaned up your environment, those foods are going to always call you. And so right. I believe, and I've always said this, and people get mad at me, but I'm only teaching what I learned from all the doctors because I host a summit called the Truth About Weight Loss Summit every year. And all the doctors say, 
what I've been saying in there in one way or another, that if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And so mm-hmm. if you abstain from something and still have it in your fa- house for your kids or your husband, the cravings will never go away because mm-hmm. cues in the environment will trigger cravings. So if you live in an unclean environment, I can't promise they'll ever go away. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one when you're living with households that everyone's on a, a different page concerning your health. So right now, AJ, um, you're notorious for the SOS, which is no salt, no oil, and no sugar. Yeah. Tell us what does your day look like and how have, how, because you don't, you're, you don't seem deprived from anything. And I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they get scared. Like, what am I going to do without sugar, oil, and salt? But the truth is that you could actually eat well without using those things once you get acclimated to the real flavors of real food. So give us an insight on, on what your life looks like now that you're on this yeah. journey. Well, of it's SOS. been a long time. I've been SOS free and I'm actually sofas free, sugar, oil, flour, alcohol, salt for since it was August 1st, not, uh, so long, I can't, 2008, it's been a long time. And you're right, acclimated is another word for neuroadapted, neuro, neurological adaptation. And of course, if you've been eating a lot of sugar, oil and salt or sugar, fat and salt, and you take it away, you're going to have some discomfort at first. The thing about neuroadaptation, people understand it in other areas. They just don't necessarily quite understand it with food right away. And if, if anyone has ever been in a movie theater, and they've can't come late to the movie. It's dark and you can't see right away. You can't see your seat. And you, you don't just sit there and like, oh, you just stand still for a moment. And then your eyes can adjust to the new level of darkness. And then you see, oh, there's an available seat and you take it. Well, the same thing can happen to your taste buds. And the thing is, it takes a little bit of time. One of the reasons I don't eat sugar, oil, and salt is, well, first of all, I don't think they're healthy. And two of them, the sugar and the oil are very calorically dense i.e. fattening, is that Dr. Goldhammer explains that sugar, oil, and salt are not food. They're chemicals that we add to the food that fool our brain's satiety mechanism and cause us to overeat. And you never find sugar, fat, and salt in nature in any concentrated form. So in other words, if there's salt in nature, it's in the green vegetables. If there's sugar in nature, it's in fruit. And if there's uh, fat in nature, it's in a whole food form like a nut, Mm -hmm. a seed, or avocado. So you never find it the way that people are eating it now, like olive oil, you know, uh, salt, you know, sugar, maple syrup, all that kind of stuff. The other thing that people don't realize is that sugar, fat, and salt are addictive on their own, but they become more addictive when they're combined. And basically that's what processed food and restaurant food is. It's the exact combination of sugar, fat, and salt that will addict you to their product. That's what, that's how the processed food industry did it. They did it knowingly with scientists behind closed doors once they understood that. And so we like food, we like eating because it not only encourages survival, but we get a neurochemical called dopamine that's released whenever we eat food. But the more calorically concentrated the calories, the more dopamine is released. So that's why we like foods that are higher fat and higher calorie because we get more dopamine. So for neurological adaptation to occur with our taste buds, it can take some time of not assaulting them with so much sugar, fat, and salt. I mean, if you think about it, like I do a daily live broadcast called Chef AJ Live, and I had a chef on today who was one year old. He's like the youngest chef in the world, I think. He's a YouTuber. And it's so funny because when he was cooking, every time he put an ingredient in the bowl, he put it in his mouth. So he was putting oats in his mouth and you know fruit in his mouth. It was, it was really adorable. I mean, babies don't add sugar, fat, and salt to their food. 
I mean, they, babies might eat fat, like if you give them an avocado, but have you ever seen a baby or a, an ant, you ever see a mountain lion kill, uh, you know, an animal and then, you know, salt it or sugar it? Or, <laughs> no. So this is a relatively new thing in the timeline of human history. Mm-hmm. Oil is not something that was used back in the day. It was a prize that was given to athletes in the Olympic Games that they adorned their body with. It wasn't put in their mouth. It's actually relatively recent that we started taking things like you know grapes and processing it into oil and actually eating with it and cooking with it so people have a hard time going from a higher fat higher calorie diet to one that's lower but that doesn't mean they won't enjoy it eventually it's just that they won't stick with it long enough for the most part and especially if they're in that unclean environment if somebody else is eating pepperoni pizza you're not going to really enjoy your steamed broccoli and sweet potatoes when there's pepperoni pizza because you are genetically hardwired to always prefer the most concentrated source of calories for survival. And in nature, that was not processed food. It didn't exist. And so you're always going to be called to be eating the most high calorically thing in whatever environment you're in. But the thing is, is our ancestors throughout most of human history and through many parts of the world today eat unprocessed food. They don't eat processed food. They don't uh, put a lot of sugar, fat, and salt in it. I mean, think of areas like the blue zones. Yeah, they might use some oil and things like that, but it's not like it is in the United States where everything is high in sugar, fat, and mm-hmm. salt. It does take some time. You know, here's the thing. So oil is really easy to not use because you don't need it to cook. Mm-hmm. I've got many YouTube videos showing how you can dry saute or saute with vegetable broth or water. Very easy to not use oil and to bake without it is also very easy. There's so many substitutes. The only thing you really can't do without oil is fry, but frying is not good anyway. And you can mm-hmm. use an air fryer and get everything to be crisp and delicious without mm-hmm. oil. So mm-hmm. oil's pretty easy. And if people want fat, there's nothing wrong with whole food fat, like nut seeds, mm-hmm. avocado, tahini. And so they'll still get you know that richness and that high caloric density, but in a whole food form mm-hmm. with fiber and water. Whereas in oil, there's no fiber, water, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, or micronutrients. So oil is actually probably the easiest. Now with sugar, we always love the taste of sugar and salt because we have taste buds on the tip of our tongue from this. And and that's how our ancestors knew they were going in the right direction because if berries were sweet, they were not poisonous. And we prefer the taste of salt because that was to prevent dehydration because we we didn't have bottled water delivered back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, And having a preference for salt was was very, very important, but it wasn't from the salt shaker. We got it from eating vegetables, greens, which most people don't eat very many of these days. The other thing I forgot to mention is what's really interesting is sugar, fat, and salt never appear together in nature, in any food. You, I mean, breast milk maybe, but that's, mm-hmm. you cannot name one food in nature that has sugar and fat, fat and salt, sugar and salt, sugar, fat and salt, but that's Think about it. What's kettle corn? It's popcorn that's popped in oil that has salt and that has sugar on it. Like the, I call that the evil trinity, sugar, sugar, oil, and salt. But there's nothing in nature. So we weren't meant to activate those pleasure pathways with, it was only supposed to be one at a time. We had something sweet. We had something salty. We had something fatty. We never were meant to combine them. And when we do, it's, it makes it even, even more addictive. 
So oil is really quite easy if you, I mean, unless you eat out and it's, you're really not gonna be able to avoid it. But as far as cooking and baking without it, you'll save money. You won't have greasy dishes to wash and your, your, the endothelial lining of your blood vessels will help you because, will thank you because you won't be creating heart disease because you're taking the oil away, assuming you've already taken away the animal products. Mm -hmm. And sugar, believe it or not, is not very hard to do without if, if, because you can use fruit, the whole fruit and nothing but the fruit. So anything mm -hmm. people can do with sugar, I can make any kind of dessert without it. And I use dates. Mm -hmm. Dates is my primary sweetener. They are caloric. They have about 1300 calories a pound, but they're still less caloric than sugar. And at least they're a whole food, right. which means they have vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals, antioxidants and micronutrients. So they're kind of like, for me, dates were methadone to get me off the white sugar. And, and, right. and <laughs> because they're a whole food, you actually get satisfied when you eat them where sugar you're just going to keep eating it because you'll never get full just eating sugar the hardest thing for people believe it or not is the salt and you know if somebody wants to do a program kind of like dr McDougall's starch solution and they really can sprinkle just a little bit on the surface of the food it's probably not the end of the world mm -hmm. but the problem where food addiction is is salt is a very powerful appetite stimulant and it causes mm -hmm. you to eat more food and so if weight loss is your goal Salting your food may not be the best thing. And people go, well, it doesn't taste good without it. Well, good, because it doesn't taste good, you won't eat as much of it, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you if every meal has to be a five-star meal, you might not have that much success in this arena because food is supposed to be fuel. It doesn't mean that it can't be delicious, but it may not be delicious right away eating this way if you're used to eating the other way. But if you were born eating this way, and I know people who were like Dr. Goldhammer's son, mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. never had bread or cake or ice cream. I mean, Brussels sprouts are his favorite food because he doesn't know any different. The only different. reason you like that stuff better is because that's what you're used to. And if you have a kid and you don't feed him crap like dairy and macaroni and cheese and sugar, all these stupid smash cakes that these parents do, it just seems like child abuse. Mm -hmm. You will love the taste of natural food. You're designed god wouldn't make a mistake mm -hmm. we are designed to love the taste of whole natural mm -hmm. food without sugar fat and well without sugar oil and salt we're supposed to have that mm -hmm. but not oil mm -hmm. it's just that you know you can't know that right now and i probably wouldn't have known that back then if you had told me either and that's why going to a place like the true north health center and even doing something extreme like doing a water fast Mm -hmm. This can make this process happen sooner so that you can love the food that will love you back and not make you fat and sick and addicted. It's just, it's a hard sell because like you say, I think the social aspect yeah. is the hardest for people. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that AJ, because um, what we do here at the Daniel Fest is that we're uh, the Daniel Fest pretty much is what you're talking about, which is a whole food plant-based, no sugar, no oil, no salt um, to give people that introduction to do this because I think what you're talking about a lot of people they it's hard to break away from it you almost have to commit yourself to saying I'm going to stay away from these foods so that you can get over the hump of of adjusting to your taste buds but if you never go through that hard spot you'll never get to the other side and I'm glad you're kind of giving us the real deal on it that there's no magical moment you're just going to stop eating all these processed foods and then tonight the food is going to taste like joy it takes time because you have to re redo your taste buds so i'm really glad you're just giving the real deal on this thing <laughs> well, you have to, it's like you have to recalibrate you know it, yeah you know that's yeah. that's the truth you know the best thing is is if you're going to have kids don't mess them up in the first place like my mom did you know yeah her addictions you know yeah passing them on 
Yeah, so for those watching, if you have a question, feel free to pop it in the chat um, box there. And one question that I had for you, um, Chef AJ, uh, has to do with emotional eating. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a lot of us have struggled with kind of being on autopilot. And then when we get stressed out about something, mm -hmm. something happens to us, we tend to find comfort in food. Um, maybe describe to us how you used to handle emotional eating versus mm -hmm. how you handle it today. And maybe you don't emotionally eat or when you do, you emotionally eat with something. Yeah. Well, it's really funny because you know, once I, you know, I feel like emotional eating and food addiction are like opposite sides mm -hmm. of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And once I got rid of all the addictive foods in my diet, in my environment, I found I didn't emotionally eat because it's not that interesting to overeat on whole natural food of a low caloric density. You just mm -hmm. not going to get that much dopamine from it. You know, that's why there's no arugula anonymous because really very <laughs> few people overeat on low calorically dense, high nutrient foods. For one, you don't get as much dopamine. So you're like, Hey, I'm not really getting much from this. And also when you're eating foods that high in fiber and water, you really get full. And so for me, really once I understood this concept of food addiction, and it's not to say that people don't medicate with food, but they don't really medicate with broccoli slaw. I mean, there might be one in you know a thousand that says, oh yeah, I overeat on carrots. But usually when people are overeating on vegetables, it's because they're restricting in some way and not eating enough calories and not eating enough starch, starchy foods to give them that satiety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you think about it, like, when people smoke cigarettes, are they smoking for emotional reasons? Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people say, oh, you know, I mean, is there such a thing as emotional smoking? No, it's a habit, mm -hmm. it's an addiction. And I think with food, it's the same way. And it's because the truth is, is yes, people can eat for a variety of reasons other than comfort, other than hunger. But if hunger is not the problem, food's not going to be the solution. People eat mm -hmm. because they're, they're angry or tired or lonely or stressed mm -hmm. or bored or anxious. But they also do other behaviors for that reason too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they uh, shop compulsively, or you know, uh, I know there's all kinds of different addictions. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is if people don't feel good, they do. They want to feel better, and food is just one way to do it. But people have to understand that they, they, the emotional eating has to do more like with drug-like behavior than than the food because because they're not emotionally eating on spinach and broccoli and, and even apples or grapes or, or even sweet potatoes. It's always mm -hmm. on these highly processed foods that will give them the highest hit of dopamine. And again, if, if food's not the problem, if hunger's not the problem, food's not the solution. So if you have emotional problems or things like that, then you've got to find a way to solve them without food, or you're always going to use food or drugs or some other compulsive mm -hmm. behavior, like exercising or shopping or whatever the many things are that people do, you know, a, a, a social media addiction mm -hmm. to try to feel better and numb out. And that, that I think that's a problem, you know, in our whole society today is nobody wants to feel anything anymore, yeah. it's particularly how bad. Mm -hmm. So they do all these numbing behaviors, mm -hmm. which you know, are not that great. So, you know, they, there's an old saying, the only way out is through. And if, you know, sometimes if you want the pain to stop, you got to be willing to feel it and work with a professional to, to mm -hmm. work on that. And, you know, you know, the thing is, is like I said, it's, 
that what we're, what a lot of therapists miss, unfortunately, is that the foods that people are medicating with have this addictive-like property. And that's why oh, it drives me crazy, these people that go to these eating disorders inpatient places, there are thousands of dollars and a lot of times insurance doesn't pay. And they're told, well, you just have to learn to moderate it. No, you can't moderate an addictive food if you're an addict. These, mm -hmm. you know, and I believe that even people that if all we gave was these, this crap food to people, eventually we, if you give somebody a substance in a high enough dose for a long enough time, they too mm -hmm. will become an addict. And yes, there's mm -hmm. people that can eat just a little bit, but like, I always say to people, like when I was growing up before I became vegan, my favorite cookie was called the mint Milano pepperidge farm and open up a bag of whatever your mint Milano, you know, M&Ms with peanuts, whatever your favorite thing is, open up the bag, have one unit of it. Mm. and then close the bag. And if the bag is there in six months, like it would be for my husband, you probably don't need my talk. But if that <laughs> bag is gone in six minutes, you probably do. Yes, six minutes. Yeah. So, so, so that's the thing. To me, emotional eating is just food addiction. And when you get rid of the addictive foods, it doesn't mean you're never going to overeat. I overeat sometimes. Sometimes things are really good. But when you're eating food that that's, that's that calorically dilute and that nutrient rich, you really get so full from the fiber. That's the thing. All the addictive foods either don't have fiber or the fiber has been destroyed or disrupted. So you don't get the same kind of satiety Mm -hmm. signals that you do, you know, and, and I tell people like, I don't, I don't tell people to not overeat. I just tell them what to eat. I don't tell them when or where or why or how, because eventually their body weight will normalize when they're just eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, and you can put them in any combination you want. And there's so many different cooking methods. Mm -hmm. But again, if you were born with low D2 receptivity, that's dopamine receptivity. And if you're not doing anything else to feel good in life, like having you know meaningful relationships or mm -hmm. exercising, which will give you those brain chemicals, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're always going to rely on food. But you know, there's things you can do. Like my, my new thing now is, I don't know how I got into this. I think I must've heard the Shirzai say this in one of their talks to, to ward off Alzheimer's, do jigsaw puzzles. Now I'm addicted uh, to jigsaw puzzles. I yeah. just, yeah. I just, I cannot stop puzzling. And like when I'm in a puzzle, like a last thing I'm thinking about is eating. I'm like just mm -hmm. obsessed with finding that piece and mm -hmm. hours can go by and it's like, oh my God, I forgot to eat, you know? So, so find something else mm -hmm. in life that's as engaging as eating. Mm -hmm. And to say that, you know, people think, oh, your life must be so boring. No, my life is not boring at all. Mm -hmm. My life is very rich and it's full. It's just not, it's just not, you know, I, I just, it's just not the same thing. Like eating is not a, uh, Sport. Not, it, mm -hmm. It's, I don't know how mm -hmm. to say this. I, I, I eat to live now rather than live to eat. And yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's just a much better way of being for me. I enjoy it more where, where food is just, where I'm not obsessing about it, where I'm not eating compulsively or always thinking about when I'm going to get my next fix or when the next meal is when you eat in this high nutrient manner, you, you get the appropriate amounts of hunger at the appropriate time and you eat appropriate amounts of food. And it's just, and, and my food is as delicious to me. Like today for lunch, oh my God, I had mm -hmm. Japanese sweet potatoes that were roasted and then chilled. And the reason is when you chill them, roast them and chill them and then air fry them, they're either just, they taste like like marshmallows, toasted marshmallows <laughs> or bread or something. And I had them in the air fryer and they were, you know, gooey on the inside. It was like toasted marshmallows and crunchy. And I had that with a big chopped salad and I, I'm just really full. And very, I'm very, very satisfied with my food. My food is delicious. I just want to read one comment um, someone posted on the Facebook in the Facebook group chef AJ inspired me and changed my life 
once you understand food density, you'll never quote unquote diet again. I start every day with a huge bowl of raw veggies and my whole day is set up for success. I feel so good to know, it feels so good to know every mouthful of food you feed yourself is nourishing. So yeah, thank mm -hmm. you so much. Yeah. And what, what, what she means by density, it's something called caloric density, mm -hmm. which is right here, which is completely different than counting calories. And we're talking about eating in the greens and eating as much food as you want to the left of the red line. And, and yeah, you set yourself up in a, for success when you start the day with greens or vegetables, start your day in a savory way. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, Cersei, did you have any? There was a couple questions, which I think you'll, you kind of answered this already, uh, Chef AJ. Stevia and agave, are they a no? <laughs> so I can't, I can't, yeah. I'm not the, I am not the food police as much as yeah. I want to be. So I think it depends what your goals are. If your goals are re managing food addictions or weight loss, mm -hmm. then I would say they're definitely a no. Let's talk, let's take uh, Stevia first. I think mm -hmm. it's a no for everybody because mm -hmm. if you understand anything about the gut microbiome, which is like the new frontier in medicine, I interviewed 40 doctors last year for what's mm -hmm. called the GI health summit. And all of them gave thumbs down to all the artificial sweeteners. And yes, mm -hmm. stevia is not artificial. It's from the green leaf. Most people that eat stevia aren't eating the leaf. They're eating a very highly processed liquid or powder that you can't make in your own kitchen. That's mm -hmm. thousands of times sweeter than sugar. And what happens you know, you have these taste buds on your tongue that detect sweet. And when you, that's because then when you taste sweet, you know, the calories are coming, your brain gets all excited. And then what happens with these zero calorie sweeteners, whether it's stevia, erythritol, xylitol, mannitol, aspartame, whatever it is, is the calories don't really come. And so what happens is the insulin response still happens and you just end up getting hungrier because they're as bad as sugar is, I'd rather have people eat sugar than, than stevia. It's, plus yeah. it's a nightmare for the gut microbiome and it just tastes terrible. It really does. I mean, no chef in the world will tell you to use it. It's, it's really bitter and disgusting, but it's like the diet sodas you get addicted to it. Stevia is a, I God, I know people, they were as addicted to stevia as sugar and they'd walk around with these little dropper bottles and they'd have to put it in their water, everything they mm. ate or drank. So I would definitely, I would recommend sugar over stevia. Now agave, again, it's, uh, higher in fructose than even high fructose corn syrup, which means it's metabolized in the liver. My litmus test of whether or not you should eat something is can you make it in your own kitchen easily? And if you can't, I don't know anyone that can make stevia powder or stevia liquid or agave or maple mm -hmm. syrup or honey or barley malt. I can make date syrup in my, my mm -hmm. kitchen. I mean, it takes some time. You got to boil the dates and blend them and, and reduce it, but I can make that. So uh, yeah, agave, it's, I don't recommend it. Even if it may be quote, lower glycemic, so what? I mean, you know, uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream is lower on the glycemic index than carrots. So I don't think the glycemic index is, it's only one thing to look at. Most people don't eat one food at a time anyway. So yeah, sugar is sugar, oil is oil, salt is salt. They're all bad. Just because one might be less bad doesn't mean it's good. So if your goal is recovery from food addiction and weight loss, the only sweetener you want is whole natural fruit. Yes. Mm. All right, one last question, and I think you answered this, but it was a nice sum up. Do the junk food cravings ever go away on this journey? Well, you know, I can't say yes or no without knowing the individual and their circumstances. Mm -hmm. I can say that for me, they did. Mm -hmm. And I think they certainly lessen over time. But again, if you're in an unclean environment, the answer is no. 
because you're always going to be and if you're if all you do is subscribe to food blogs and look at recipes and subscribe to cooking light and look at recipes and watch the food network then the answer is no mm -hmm. but if if you get rid of all those environmental cues and you eat a nutrient rich diet like the one i recommending over time it lessens now does that mean you'll like i i had this craving i don't know like a month ago like out of the blue like i don't and it was nothing emotional going on all of a sudden i'm thinking God, I want some black licorice. That was like my favorite candy, you know? And I don't know, I don't know why. Like I, I and it, it, so yes, they can, but it was fleeting. And it was like, was I gonna act on it? I was like, yeah. And then I thought, well, you know what? They have tea now that tastes like that. If I really, so so I, I can't tell you for you like a hundred percent the promise that they'll go away forever. But if you clean your environment and you eat this way, they're gonna get less and less and less until they're just sort of like, you know, like, look, you know, do you know anybody that only has pure thoughts 100% of the time? Mm -hmm. We all have thoughts like, gosh, I, that driver just cut me. I just want to kill him. Oh, what a, mm -hmm. what a jerk. You don't act on it. Yeah. Exactly. So cravings mm -hmm. are like thoughts and they can be very fleeting. And if you don't mm -hmm. want to, if you want them to go away, what you do is you don't, you don't engage them. So, so the thing is, is when you give into a craving, people think, you know, it's like when you have an itch and you scratch it, then often it gets worse and it gets infected. But if you just kind of, don't scratch the itch eventually it goes away especially if you distract yourself and do something else and it's the same thing with cravings <laughs> when you give into the craving you intensify it and you make it worse so yeah they can be tough and cravings can you know a lot of times it can they can be based in some emotional thing that's gone on you know you have some incident or you know uh, you, you know you remember like a I don't know, it's the anniversary of somebody that died and you remember that person and you always had a certain food with that person. So there can be some, I'm not saying that there's no emotional aspect to this, but what I am saying is when you get rid of the addictive foods, that emotional thing and the cravings, it gets dialed way, 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 way down, especially if you're eating a nutrient rich diet, starting the day with greens and really learning to enjoy your food. Um, and you can learn to make things that, that taste as good. So like, like I can make an apple pie that's made out of apples and dates and oats and, and it's like delicious and it tastes like, I mean, I, I make it for regular people. And, and so what I'm saying is like, you, there's certain things you can do. You want something cold and creamy, you can make banana ice cream. So it's not about deprivation. It's about finding mm -hmm. substitutions for the things that are really problematic for you that you enjoy as much and in time will enjoy more. But will they go away 100% for all people? No, but do they get a lot better? Yeah, I don't, I can't, I mean, like I said, I like I, that's the only craving I can think of really in the last 10 years when I don't know why, like black licorice, maybe I saw a commercial, maybe I smelled it. I don't know. Smelling can make, you know, that's mm. the thing. That's why it's so hard living with somebody that's eating differently because, you know, you, you're trying to do your best and they're sitting there eating popcorn in front of the TV at night. You can smell that popcorn. You can mm -hmm. hear the crunch, you know, so it's really hard because cues can be, you can hear them, you can smell them, you can see them. You know, so that's why I recommend the clean environment if at all possible. Okay, great. All right. Well, I think our time is about up. Chef AJ, thank you so very much for joining us here today. We sincerely appreciate you. And uh, for those watching live and on the replay, thank you for joining us. Definitely pick up a copy of her books. Um, Chef AJ, your website, you want to just uh, give that? Yeah, to it's me? just my name, chefaj.com. Took a while yeah. to get it, but I finally got my name back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also be sure to follow her on Facebook and Instagram as well.
Um, and she's got a YouTube channel. So yeah, that's out. actually, that would be my favorite place for you to connect with me because I'm not as active on the other two, but YouTube, I have been live every day since March 20th, 2020. I think I'm at 520 shows now and you guys are coming on. I believe it's in August. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we should, do we want to talk about that for a quick minute? <laughs> you want an, yeah. iron, an iron chef thing, I think? <laughs> that's going to be fabulous. I'm trying to look up the date, see if I can find it. Yeah. Was it in August? I seem to remember. I think it's on the 12th, I think. Let me see. That's right. It's a Thursday, August 12th. You got a good memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. So thanks, everybody. And um, we will see you in the group. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Eat your greens. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again, keep honoring your body for your purpose.